Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired, and have some fun. everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. Well, I have had one of the worst regrets of my life this Uh past week. Okay, it's not really. What's that? The fact that I could have seen them shoot down the Chinese spy balloon from my beach house porch and I wasn't home. Oh, that would have yeah. been a monumental moment. Everybody saw it except, for, well, Chad didn't see it because he didn't go outside. But <laughs> it was literally right out. I like, if I go out on my porch of my beach house and look over the ocean, it happened right there. Can I just tell you, I didn't know anything about it until you messaged me a picture really? of it. Well, I, I saw the balloon. <laughs> it was, you know, we, we'd heard from one of the local weathermen that it was, a, it might possibly come over the Myrtle Beach area in the afternoon. Okay, no big deal. But I had brunch plans in Polly's Island. So uh-huh. I went to Polly's Island and got out of my car. People were staring at the sky. So I was like, let me look at the sky. Also, I looked at the sky and I could see the balloon. There it was. I was like, oh my gosh, I see the balloon. What are the chances that it's actually right overhead of where I am? So I take a picture of it, took a video. I was so excited, went inside for brunch, got a text from a friend of mine who lives in Merle's Inlet. And she said, they're going to shoot it down over the ocean. You're going to be able to see it from your house. And I was like, what? I'm not at home. And sure enough, that's what they did. There were a million videos all over the place. So I got to see the videos of it, but our neighbors saw it. They're like, oh yeah, that was cool. We saw the whole thing. There were like four fighter jets going around. Really? Yes. And apparently the Today Show was filming. I could see them from my porch filming on, I guess, Monday morning, it just happened on Saturday. I looked over and I could see people filming right on the beach, right by the beach access next to my house. I'm like, wonder what they're doing. And someone said, I just saw Surfside on the Today Show. I'm like, oh yeah, that's because this is where it happened. And I wasn't here. I haven't um, seen any video. Apparently I need to go back. Well, I was working on the weekend. You know, when I go yeah. to work for the weekend, it's all work all weekend. Well, it was the afternoon on Saturday. Yeah, so. I was asleep. Anyway, I missed it and I could have been there. So. <laughs> How long was it, like, over the United States before I don't know. Like, it went over the whole United States. It, like, started off over, it came from the Pacific, and it went over Alaska, and then it came through the middle, and then it, like, came right down to my down over Alaska. Well, let's just say that that didn't happen. They wanted to wait until it was not over land. Isn't Alaska, like, vast wilderness? I'm not sure. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, not to get into any political conspiracy theories, but what was said was they wanted to wait till it got over the ocean, but not out to international water. So I don't know. You you know, I'm not very into politics. So, well, because it shouldn't be out in international waters because we don't have jurisdiction there or something. 
But while it was still in our waters, but not over land, they didn't want it to hurt anybody because it was like the size of three school buses. So anyway. Well, I heard that they wanted to do it over water so it wouldn't like damage property or it hurt anybody. That's why I was like, Alaska is like wilderness, you know, but uh, not, not to get political, (laughs) but anyway. I feel like it would have gone through Canada, right, too? I have no idea. I don't know what the whole path was. I think. I just wonder what Canada It started about to that. come to people's attention, maybe over Wyoming or something, like a oh. pilot saw it. I don't know. Then people knew about it, and then people were talking about it. Anyway, I just can't believe I missed it. Could you imagine being a pilot and looking over and seeing something like See, that? Like somebody almost like, hit it or something. They're flying really? around. And they're like, yes. That sounds dangerous. It does sound dangerous. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was like the size of three school buses or something. Goodness. Anyway. I'll just have to live vicariously through the videos of people. Well, now I'm going to have to look up a video of it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, that was my big news. All right. Well, moving on to our good news segment. I mean, I guess it's good news that we shot it down. Bad news that Jen missed it. (laughs) But today we have a customer service shout out from Debbie. And I know I'm probably not going to say this right. I'm just going to give that right up front. Uh, Debbie said, I asked the Life Lessons Facebook group back in November for members' experience with Erosti therapy. I've never uh, heard of that. A-I-R-R-O-S-T-I. Yeah, and it's an acronym for something. Okay. Anyway, she said, I received a couple of replies and I eventually went in for treatment. I discovered that it is deep myofascial tissue release and I have a high tolerance for pain, yet this was painful. I hung in there because it has really helped me. The level of pain does change based on area of treatment, I'm sure. And the follow-up exercises help greatly too. Unfortunately, it's not covered by insurance and I paid $235 per visit and I had four visits. But yesterday I had received a $117 refund from the company as they had read my third visit's notes where the provider had stated that they were not able to complete all manipulations due to tenderness in my leg. So they refunded me half of the visit without any questions from me. I was really shocked and happy at the same time. What a great company, and this made me even more happy to recommend them to others. They are chiropractors, but yet they don't do typical chiropractic manipulations. I highly recommend them as they have helped me a lot and their customer service is amazing. So Erosti Therapy. That really is good customer service. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. A lot of people are just going to voluntarily give you a refund. No. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service, like we heard from Debbie just there. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lessons of the week, I want to take a minute to talk about cleanish again. It's a good time of year. Spring is on the way to do a time to do a little spring cleaning in your house and cleanish can help you do that. You know, when I wrote Cleanish, I realized that I needed to still make some changes. It felt like major changes, but really most of them were were pretty easy to make. When it comes to eating mostly clean, I was already doing a pretty good job with that. I rely on meals from Green Chef, window openers from Daily Harvest, clean wines from Dry Farm Wines. I needed to make the most changes to the products I was using on my body and 
what I use to clean my house, but I switched to Beauty Counter for all of my makeup, skincare, shampoo, and conditioner, and to Branch Basics for my household cleaning needs. And if you haven't yet read Cleanish, as I said, now is a really good time to do that. It's never too late to make small but positive changes that all add up to make big differences in your overall chemical load. So go to jenstevens.com slash cleanish for links to purchase Cleanish, as well as links with special offers to all my favorite clean companies, such as Green Chef Daily Harvest, Dry Farm Wines, Beauty Counter, and Branch Basics. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by Dr. L. Carol Scott, author of Just Be Yourself, Your Guide to Improving Any Relationship. Dr. Scott believes that relationships are at the heart of all successes in life. She has developed a unique model that helps to revolutionize success through self-aware emotional and social intelligence. By employing her strategies, you can become more confident and improve relationships in your family, in your business network, and even your love life. She joins us today to share how you can become your sassy self and rise to your true potential. So welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I love the sound of become your sassy self because Sherry and I could probably both say we've always been our sassy self, whether it served us or not, whether it's appreciated or not. It is what it is. But before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? You know that um, an awful lot of us spend an awful lot of time and energy trying to make sure that everybody else around us is okay. And if we would put our own oxygen mask on first and help ourselves be a little more okay, life would be a lot easier and smoother for us. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't help others until you help yourself. It is so true. So do tell us about your background a little bit. From the beginning, what led you to a career in helping other people? I think that people who have troubled childhoods are sort of naturally drawn to helping professionals very often, helping professions, because we want to make things better for children than they were for us. And so when I was very young, in the ninth grade, when I did my career notebook, I wanted to be a teacher. And my mother said, who was a teacher, said, you know, you can't make any money doing that. (laughs) And so by the time I was going to college, I thought, well, I'll be a clinical psychologist. I'll be a shrink. And so I started out majoring in psychology. And I just happened to take a class in introduction to child development. Just one of those elective things you have to take for a liberal arts degree. And it literally grabbed me by, I don't know, my psychological, emotional, and spiritual shirt front and said, sister, this way, please come with us. This is your life. And so I changed my major to child development and really found a home for my mission in life, I think, ultimately. And so I continued to finish my degree in child development, human development. I got a degree in anthropology along the way, which is a nice little pairing for that. And then I moved on into early childhood education, the actual educational environments for young children from birth to kindergarten age when they're not with their parents, anything group, childcare, preschool, Head Start, pre-kindergarten, et cetera. And then I worked in the sort of system around those programs. So the state government departments that license childcare, the people who help train the teachers, you know, the infrastructure that supports birth to five education and did a lot of work in that arena as well and pursued a PhD in developmental and child psychology. And during that time, that's when I finally faced my own childhood. I 
kind of woke up after my 30th birthday party. It was like another wake up call, like the child development class and said to myself, this life that I am trying to live is not sustainable. I'm a professional. I'm growing into being a visible person in my profession. And my personal life is insane. I don't know how to cope with people. I don't know how to be in relationships that are healthy. I need to do something about this. I'm self-medicating my way out of pain, and I don't even know what the pain is. So then I went to therapy, and there we go. Therapy and child development came together like a big explosion in my life. And my therapist was brilliant at helping me use what I knew about child development to do my own recovery work. She would say things like, you know what it's like to be three years old? What would it be like for a three-year-old to experience what you just described to me as your experience? Oh, you mean don't look at it through the lens of the 30-year-old? No, feel it like a three-year-old would, and it's a different experience. So this sassy framework, the self-aware success strategies, really evolved out of that intersection between recovery from trauma and knowing so deeply about child development, really understanding what it was like for me to have those experiences back then so that I could be the voice of children for other people who don't know necessarily, who can't tap into that for themselves. And so not only the voice of children, but the voice of yourself, now an adult, thinking mm -hmm. back to your inner child that's still in there, guiding so many of the thoughts you have today that you might not even realize are being guided by that child. Absolutely. In fact, your inner child is so inner that she's wired into your neural network. So your brain was wired from birth to three. You came in to the world with a big old skull full of electrical neurons, you know, lying around in a puddle. They were not connected to each other in any kind of meaningful patterns. And you created your neural network interaction by interaction with the people in your world from birth to three, 85% of your brain was built. And so literally that person that you were from birth to three, she's still there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Basically you as an adult, revisited your life as a child. I sure did. And from that, were you able to change your thoughts and reactions? Excellent question, Sherry. Yes. The work that I do now is uh, starts with changing patterns of behavior. The development do-overs in my coaching begin with noticing your behavior, noticing the patterns that you have and changing them so that you can rewire the neural network. And there are also ways to intervene directly in our neural networks now. We know an awful lot about how the, the neural network works, <laughs> if you will. And so there are tools like EFT tapping, like EMDR. There are technologies for intervening directly in changing the neural patterns. But we can also not dive that deep that fast and just start changing our behavior to change our neural networks. I love that you just said that. Everything you just said, my husband comes from a messy childhood and he gets stuck in this, I am the way I am. Mm. And I'm always like, well, no, you don't have to be. Anybody's capable of changing. I actually said to him last night, like, you know, you can change your neural pathways. There's EMDR. There's like different things you can do. His mm -hmm. thing is he doesn't want to go to conventional talk therapy. And... Great. Doesn't have I'm to. like, you don't, you don't have to, there's other things you can do to rewire your brain, but he doesn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So, what, what, what do you tell, what do you tell a non-believer? Do, well, do people resist change because they're afraid of change or they just really think this is as good as it gets? 
Yes and yes. I think some of each. Some people, I think a lot of people resist change simply because they're afraid of change and they haven't yet accepted that change is all there is. And so being afraid of it means being afraid of life. Oh, I love that, Carol. I have to say that again. Change is all there is. It's all there is. It's the only, it's literally the only thing we can count on is that things will change. And we have jokes about it throughout our, our culture in all levels, you know, so we know that that's true. And so, yeah, so you can, you can stay stuck in where you are simply because you're afraid of what you're going to do always when you change, no matter which tools you use, you're going to leap off a cliff of the known into the unknown. And it terrifies people. But they do it all the time in other ways. They just don't recognize that's what they're doing. So, But it's about themselves and it's about their understanding of who they are in the world. It's fundamental. It's birth to three. You learned, we all learned from birth to three, who we are as a person, who other people are and why they matter to us, and how you get along with them. It's all in there, wired into our brains from birth to three. And we didn't even participate as willing, knowledgeable game players in that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we are all sort of, I hate to use the word victims, but victims of circumstance. We have no control of the families we're born into and the lifestyles we're born into and family dynamics and dysfunction that are already in place and have been for generations. So another way to frame that instead of victims of circumstance is we are the resulting sculpture of the forces of our lives. We are made by our lives, our experiences with other people. And that can be as both a good thing and a challenging thing for us. But to accept it, that we have been shaped and made by our relationships with other people is to say, well, then uh, relationships are where we need to make the difference of change. That's huge. People need to recognize that you know, they're coming from their their childhood, how they were wired, birth mm-hmm. to three. But as adults, changing the way they relate to other people, would you say that's that's part of it with the relationship part? Yes, and it begins with changing your relationship with yourself. It begins Aww. with self-awareness. That's why I call my strategies the self-aware success strategies, because every single one begins with becoming more aware of what you're already doing with that strategy in your relationships. So either I'm, I've picked out seven things that I think are natural to childhood that children bring as a natural resource, and they try it out on us as adults. And depending on how the adults react, the child either continues to use that strategy and gets more successful with it and becomes self-aware of how they are using it to strengthen relationships, or they drop it and they pick up a bunch of other strategies, most of which are maladaptive and are not helpful to relationships. Things like codependent, manipulation, defensiveness, all the things that drive us nuts inside our families and inside of our marriages and inside of our friendships. It's all stuff that is maladaptive alternatives to what the child naturally could have done if they'd gotten a little support. Right. Because as a child is experiencing life and they're, I mean, each, each day of a child's life is an experiment, right? It's either, it either goes well or it goes poorly. (laughs) And um, it's, it's all new. They've never done it before. Right. And so if it works, great. They're like, okay, that worked. I'm going to keep doing that. And if it doesn't work, then they're going to figure out a new method that may not be the best method. Yes. 
And I think, gosh, you can see this so very clearly in toddlers, you know, even as early as 15 to 18 months of age, up to almost three, where they're just trying out all the things, all the ways to be who they are. They're just trying themselves out on the world in every dimension of their lives. And if people look at them and say, wow, cool, look at you, we see you. Look at how you think. Look at how you feel. Look at how you show up in the world. That's pretty great. Then they keep on being authentically themselves. But what if the adults around them say, your, your emotions are overwhelming. They're too big. You uh, shouldn't be feeling like that. You shouldn't be thinking like that. And don't want those things you want. That's wrong. You should be more mm-hmm. like this. If, then we will start curating ourselves. We will start shaping ourselves to fit what other people expect us to be. And we won't be calm and confident and feel relaxed and safe being who we are. It starts that early. I think lack of confidence is something that a lot of people struggle with. And if this is something that you've struggled with your whole life, how as an adult do you start to turn that around? Ah, well, it begins again with that toddler success strategy. So let me just name the the success strategies so that when I refer to them, then we We know what I'm talking about. So the infant success strategy I call trust because you come into the world with no other strategy to survive, but to trust people to take care of you. And infants are good at it. They just trust us to take care of them. Toddlers are all about independence. Their strategy is to be who they are, to express themselves with no breaks, (laughs) no holes barred, everything about me. Here I am just as I am and enjoy. And so their independence is their strategy. Then three-year-olds stop paying so much attention to their own selves, like toddlers and infants, and they notice that there's a whole lot of other stuff going on in the world, and they like wake up to the magic of life, literally for them, the magic, because they don't have any logic, so everything only makes sense if it's magical. And so three-year-olds bring the strategy called faith, believing in things that are impossible, believing in things that people think are fantastical, not real, believing in the future, believing in dreams. Then at four, they start to get serious about life and they learn how to negotiate. So negotiation to get what you want, which you started figuring out when you were a toddler, that's the four-year-old success strategy. And boy, if y'all know kids this age, you're like nodding your heads. I am a right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the five-year-old strategy I call vision because it's about having goals and working them with a team. They're like very much about getting somewhere with a plan. They like to take things apart and figure them out. And they like to get people engaged in doing something with them to get to a goal. Then the six-year-old and the seven-year-old have the strategies of compromise and acceptance. Compromise meaning, I recognize now that negotiating doesn't always work. And sometimes I want too many things and I have to just chill and let some of those go in order to get some of the things that are more important to me. So it's the beginning of values-based living. It's being able to say, I value this thing I I want more than that thing. And so I will let that thing go so that I can have this thing. And acceptance is the birth of logic starts to tell them that cause and effect is a thing, but it doesn't always work in social relationships, that sometimes people behave in ways that don't fit. Sometimes I'm good to somebody and they're bad to me. Sometimes I follow the rules and I get in trouble. Sometimes I love somebody with all my heart and am really good to them. And they go away and they never come back. You know, so they begin to learn that life has challenges that have to simply be accepted and moved beyond. We can't let them knock us down, if you will. So there they are. 
trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance. So back to that question that you asked me, it's all about independence. Confidence is about the toddler strategy of independence. It's about being able to say, this is what I think. This is what I feel, my emotional state. This is what I want out of life right now. This is the thing that I want in this moment. To say all of that without worry, without stress, without feeling like it's not okay to say it, without feeling like you're too much, like you're over demanding, right? All of Uh that, that is, toddlers are like the essence of confidence until we teach them not to be. Well, so, you're so right. Oh, can I just right. break in there for a minute, Carol? Yes. I um, Are you familiar with Paul Torrance's work around creativity? I am not. I'm going to throw okay. that he was, he was a professor at University of Georgia, and I taught in Georgia. And okay. our gifted program had creativity as, as one of its foundations. But he um, had the Torrance test of creative thinking. And so I was a trained scorer. And we would see our kids, like, the younger the kid, the more creative they were with what they would draw. And then as they got schooled longer and longer, they became more, you know, like locked in yes. to what they thought they were supposed to do. But you're right. The, the little ones, they just had all the creativity and all the confidence and they, they didn't care if it was right. It was right to them. Right. And so reclaiming that kind of confidence right. is a lot of what my development do-overs for the independent success strategy are about. It's first of all, it's about the self-awareness. Do you know what you want right now? What do you want? Can you think of like three things you want right now? I'm, I'm not asking you to respond. It's rhetorical, right. but like in this moment, do you, are you aware of anything you want physically to make yourself more comfortable? Are you aware of anything you want in terms of your thinking, your intellectual processes right now? Is there any information you need or want? Is there anything emotional going on with you that you would want some kind of touch point about? Do you need somebody to see something emotional in you right now? So what do you want right now? And sometimes it's as simple as, I make a joke about this all the time, but you know, have you ever seen a group of women in a workplace trying to decide where to go to lunch together? Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like such a universal, we can all three laugh without even talking about what we mean. Like nobody wants to say what they want. Right. It's I don't become, care whatever you want. Exactly. (laughs) And it's almost like it's become dangerous to express an opinion, to say, I want X. And I actually can tell you that there is some danger in it because those of us willing to do it are often seen as pushy, can be reinterpreted as bullies. Because if you don't know how to say no to me, and I'm always asking for what I want very clearly and succinctly, you can feel like I'm pushing you around if you don't know how to tell me no. But that's not my error. That's a really good point, because I think a lot of us who have very strong opinions about what what we want, I'm one of those people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very clear about what I want, and I have a strong opinion, and when I say something, it's because I thought about it, and I feel like this is it. And sometimes people who are not skilled at coming at it from their point of view get frustrated. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but, but you know what I mean, I think, yeah. that they... Because they're not able to say no, like you said, or they're not able to say what they want. Because I yeah. know it, it comes across as like, why are we always doing what you want to do? Well, what do you want to do? Because <laughs> right. you never say what you want to do. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and then I'm like, I'm this kind of like person that's like, okay, well, if nobody's going to take charge of the situation, then I'm going to take charge of the situation. Ditto. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, too. somebody, somebody needs to lead the circus. So <laughs> exactly. And as I become more self-aware about the strength in myself of independence, I am a person who is more than willing to almost always say what I think, say what I want and say what I feel. And those are the three aspects of independence. What you think, what you feel, and what you want. Well, I'm always there for that. <laughs> I'm probably one of the most out loud, authentic people most people ever meet. And so what I have learned is to say, and I recognize that you may not want the same thing. So here's what I want. Is that okay with you? Does that fit with you? Does that work for your schedule? You know, it's like I soften what I want with an expectation that they get to want something too. Now, this doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're going to be able to say what they want. But at least I am giving a, a clear opening and right. not making it clear that I'm not pushing my agenda. I think that's what's really important. I had to take a step back and learn how to do that as well. And it, it came from one time I when I went to a new school where I taught. And it, it took a few years for people to really get to, to know me. And, and they gave me some feedback a few years in about when you first got here, you were all full of ideas. And we were like, what? Who is this girl? And I used that information when I went into my next new job to kind of take a step back and not feel like I'm pushing my ideas on people and and Great. giving myself permission to like ease in a little bit. <laughs> Great example. Great example. And I love that you're giving examples at work too, because this is this is a universal strategy. You can apply it to relationships at home, at work, out in the wider world, in volunteer work, in your church community, wherever you have relationships that need to go well in order to get stuff done. <laughs> so here's a question for you then. Okay. Jen and I, we are the sort of take charge. If you, if you're not going to speak up, we're going to, we're going to just run the show, right? Yep. Yep. We're both married to men who are opposite. <laughs> They're not going to speak up. But then later they're going to be like, I didn't want to do that. And you made me go here and I didn't want to go here. How do you help the people in your life, whether it's your child, your spouse, your coworker, how do you help them find their voice a little bit? Um, oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because this is part of self-awareness is other awareness. That's a, seems counterintuitive that part of our self-awareness is to really become more aware of other people too. But it's about our impact on them. You know, it's everybody's, think of everybody driving a little motorboat with a little 30 horsepower engine or something on the back of a rowboat. And we're all in the same, you know, lake or harbor and we're puttering around our lives. And we are going to make a wake that is going to upset other boats. It's just going to happen. Everybody has a wake they leave behind them as they go. And for some people that feels like their boat's being rocked. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, one of the best ways to engage people in identifying what they want is not to sort of push them about it, but to give them invitations. So let me give you an example from today. In my relationship with one of my family members, I meet several times a week with a family member who is actively in recovery from alcoholism right now. And one of the things that we do is we listen to a video recording, a YouTube recording of some positive affirmations together. And so this morning I asked him, I said, I have, I feel this call to add a little bit more to that, to add a little time at the beginning before the affirmations and time at the end to kind of bracket that and to do some other spiritual practice around that. 
I want to know whether you'd be interested in doing that, but I don't want you to answer me right now. So give permission to take time to see what they want, because people who don't express what they want don't express it a lot of times because they don't know what it is. And so what I said was, you know, when we meet again on Friday, take a couple of days to think about whether that works for you and you want to do that. And on Friday, you can tell me what you think. So do you think Jen and I are very spur of the moment people, right? Like, yes, I can feel that. Like we have an idea and then we're just like, let's go. Right. Jen and I live in separate states, but like I come and see her quite often. And when we're together, there's never this like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Like one of us says, hey, let's do this. And the other one's like, cool, let's go. You know, (laughs) but I guess my question is, are people who are more confident and assertive, more quick to make decisions, are people who are less confident, do they need more time to sit with that decision? There's, you know, there is, there's confidence in here and there's a lot of other factors as well, too. So you probably all have heard, I just was having a conversation with a, a friend about this this morning, too. You probably heard about attachment style, you know, that infants yes. and uh-huh. children have different attachment styles. Well, we carry our attachment style into our adult relationships as well. So if you're a person who is uh, someone who can attach securely, but your partner is someone who is avoidant of being attached or is insecure uh-huh. in attachment, then that's going to show up as well as things like what you want and how confident you are about asking for it. Your temperament as an individual is something that you have from birth. That plays a role in here as well. So it's a little bit more complicated than just whether you're confident or you're not. And having a strongly anchored success strategy of independence, being able to say, this is who I am and I'm okay with me as I am. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I want. And it really starts with feeling. I don't start with what you want. I start with what, how are you, what's your emotional state? Because that's where toddlers start. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about very, very young toddlers, how contagious their emotions are, one starts crying and everybody cries if you've ever been in a group <laughs> right. of toddlers. <laughs> Because literally they have no boundaries of identity. They have no way to hold their emotional world as separate, contained, and unique. It went in a room full of emotional identities. It just becomes part of the morass of emotion. But they start first to see that emotion is a separate thing and that people have emotions that they don't have and that they have emotions other people don't have. That all starts much earlier than understanding things about what I want and what I think. And so you see the birth of empathy when one toddler goes to another and pats her on the shoulder when she's crying instead of starting to cry with her. That's like, oh, <laughs> they got it. She has a feeling and I don't have it. They, they get it, right? And so yeah. getting that I have something I want that you don't want. I have something I think I have an opinion. I have a belief. I have a thought in my head. I have memories you don't have. You know, those all come later. But that emotional separation comes first. And that's, I think, a big part of self-confidence is knowing I'm over here having my interior life and it's okay. I'm all right that way. I don't have to be like you. I don't have to think like you. I have to feel like you. I'm okay as I am. That's the birth of it. I think that's important. And you know, I've been with my husband. We started dating in 1990. We got married in 1991. So it's been a long time. And we have a difference in whether I'm, I'm trying to put this in a nice way. <laughs> he he wants us to always agree, whereas I'm okay if we don't. 
And yeah. and I think that can be it can be really challenging to talk to somebody who wants you to agree with them and you're and you're like, no, it's okay to disagree. Understanding that that we we can have different opinions and that's fine. So you can go one level deeper into that with the question of why do you want us to agree? Why is that important to you? So his his intellectual uh, aspect of independence, his thinking part, wants you to think the same way as him, wants you to have his opinions, his beliefs, his ideas. But the wanting part of him has a reason for that. Yeah. Is that an yeah. e- ego thing? Is that him wanting to feel validated? I don't know. I have never met him. <laughs> I, I, okay. Well, I mean, I meant not him specifically. But just in general. But in general, what is that what sort if, of like uh, by agreeing with him, you're validating him? Sherry, what I feel like with just know, you know, obviously knowing him so well is that it's more like he can't fathom that there could be a different opinion or way of looking at something. It's part and, of whereas, his, and probably part of his way of defining love. Is that we're going to agree on things. Is that you're going to agree on things. Yeah. So yeah. take a look at his relationship with his parents, especially his primary caregiver parent, maybe his mom. I don't know. Depends on his family. But, you know, does he have a lot of agreement? Oh, no, they are estranged. Oh, okay. Is there somebody else in his family, an adult figure in his family that he has a lot of agreement with? You know, there isn't. (laughs) So So he may be craving that. He's kind of a lone wolf. He, well, okay. he is. His his parents had a difficult relationship with one another, and and he okay. doesn't see his mother now. And his father just passed away this past year, but he didn't know him till he was a teenager. So yeah, so his, he may have close... a strong need for that because he's yeah. been absent it then. Yeah. See, there's so many things that can then answer that question. That's a a complicated one. And then the struggle, of course, comes in because I know that I could make things much better by just pretending to agree, but I am unable to do that. <laughs> so good. Well, because That's then you good. feel inauthentic. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. And I'm like, he'll ask me something. I'm like, look, I know what you want me to say, but I have to just tell you what I think. But let me have a it's, different thought. Yes. And it's so I think that that confidence, maintaining confidence is crucially related then to we stop curating ourselves for other people. We stop mm-hmm. leaving out the things that we think they won't like. We stop enhancing and sparkalizing like we what's that thing that you do when you put gems and sparkly things what's that called bedazzle bedazzle (laughs) Bedazzle. thank you (laughs) i couldn't find it in my head we don't bedazzle our strengths to make them look better and to make ourselves look better for people because it's okay to just be the way we are Yeah. yeah that that curating yourself as if you're an exhibit in a museum is very troublesome to me and and we teach little bitty kids to do that for us. And it's even getting worse right now with social media. Oh, yes, for sure. I agree. I agree. I've shared a little before, you know, in my 20s I found myself living very inauthentically. You know, I was I was trying to be this person or fill this role that like my ex-husband thought I should be, my mm. mother thought I should be, but I was so deeply dissatisfied. And I don't know, I had this like awakening when I was 30, the summer I turned 30. I kind of adopted these little life mottos at that point. One is be as you are. And the other one is live out loud. Yes. And I just thought, these are the two, these are the two things that I really want in my life. I want to be able to say and do and represent who I am, you know, authentically. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to be less than or smaller or fit some mold of some person I'm not just to yeah. please other people. 
I don't know why, but it was relatively easy for me to kind of shed that persona that I had adopted and just like be me. People didn't like it, but I was so much happier. And that's kind of like my wish for everybody is like shed this idea of who other people think you should be. Yes. And just be you. The title of my first book is Just Be Your S-E-L-F Self, which stands for your self-governed, ego-aware, leading, and free self. I love that. I do too. Self-governed, ego-aware, leading in your life, and free from self-imposed barriers. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and you know... (laughs) It's funny, just the word free to me means so much. I am fiercely independent. Hmm. And if when my husband and I argue, (laughs) it's usually because I feel like he is saying or doing or imposing some boundary that makes me feel like restricted. I am restricted or I don't have freedom Hmm. of choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is where, man my claws will come out. (laughs) yeah. And I don't know why I'm that way, but I know I'm that way. And I am able to say, look, I am, I, you know, I'm upset, you know, and my husband will be like, I'm not trying to take away your freedom or I'm not trying to control you. Cause I'll be like, stop trying to control me. And he'll be like, I'm not trying to control you. I'm just telling you what I want or whatever. And I don't know. I'm so protective of that for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So he is thinking he's telling you what he wants. He is expressing what he wants, he thinks. But it's in language that makes it sound like... It feels like control. Right. You don't have a choice. You have to. Uh Uh-huh. You can't say no. And that may be something about his communication style, and it may be something in you, or both, Mm -hmm. interacting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh definitely something that we have to navigate a lot in our relationship. But he's also a person who is, he's an extremely anxious person. So he likes a lot of control and a lot of fences in his life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I am not that way. I'm a very Mm -hmm. free spirit. I want to come when I want to come. I want to go when I want to go. And, you know, he wakes up, he says, what, what, what are you, what are you doing today? And I'm like, I don't know the day. I haven't even drank a cup of coffee. You know, the day will evolve as it evolves. And he's like, well, I need to know what the plan is so I can prepare myself for it. So Uh we are operating from two very different operating systems. (laughs) I had a partner in life that I used to say, we used to say about each other, when we get to the cliff's edge, me, Carol, I'm the one who just sort of says, oh, cool, and jumps off. (laughs) 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 And they were the person who was like, you know, I'm going to walk along the cliff face and look at it from a bunch of different angles and figure out the best way to climb down here. And I'm just like, I believe I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. We both get it, don't we, Sherry? We do. We do. <laughs> so let's just deviate a little bit here. I caught one of your YouTube videos that I was really, I mean, like I scrolled through a lot of your YouTube videos and some of them really spoke to me. And then others, I was like, oh, that's not something I think I need to listen to or whatever. And I'd move on. But you have one about family dynamics. Um, I wish I would have saved what it was so that listeners could look it up. I'm, I'll have to look it up and maybe I'll put a link on, on the show notes for it. So we have a group, a Facebook group, and it's about 10,000 members from around the world. 
And one common thread, especially around the holidays or like in the summertime when there's a lot of weddings and, you know, big family get together type things, is people start talking about family dysfunction. And they're, you know, they're looking forward to the holidays, but they're not looking forward to going and being with their family because they're going to have to see their brother who always starts a fight or their dad that always puts them down. You had some great thoughts on that. Do you care to just jump into that a little bit and and talk about how people can identify like what their role in these dances are? Oh, good. Good word. Dances. They are. They are literally folk dances we learned from birth. These patterns that we have with our family members, especially the family members that we literally grew up with, our siblings and our parents, whoever the adults in our household were. We know from past experience and past family gatherings what the patterns are going to be. We know this is the guy, you know, who always does this. This is the the brother that always loses cool and picks a fight with this brother or, you know, whatever it is. We know those patterns are going to happen. And so our approach to my approach to family gatherings is to prepare myself with reality, right? I'm not going to go in there. I'm not going to go in there with a pie in the sky fantasy of what I wish these people would be like. Your mom is not going to be different than she has been for the last 53 years of your life. (laughs) Thank you. She is not. I actually got, I had a conversation with one of my sisters one time where she was really crying hurt over something my mother had done uh, when she came to visit her. And I said to her, sweetheart, whose mother did you think was coming? Right. Right. Best advice ever right there, because there you, you just always hope you, the optimism. She's not uh, going to yeah. cause a scene at this restaurant. Wait, wait, no, yeah, she causes she a is. scene at every restaurant. Yes, yeah, she, is. she is. She's going to. <laughs> so, you know, be prepared with reality. Know what's going to happen. And then, you know, it, it is no con- it is no coincidence that I keep coming back to the success strategy of independence for the toddler, because I'm telling you. This is right at the heart of who we are. And it, it really shapes a lot of our maladaptive behavior as adults is how this got managed, this toddler year got managed for us. And so it's all about what you think, what you feel, and what you want. Once again, what do you want out of the day? Know what it is before you go uh, and know, want something that's realistic to get, right? <laughs> what do you want that you can get? What are you wanting that you maybe are unlikely to get? And you should reevaluate that as a goal for the day. Where are your emotional reactions? How, where are you expecting to have an emotional reaction? Who triggers you? Who do you react to without any cognitive input? Who's your knee jerk? Um, I'm going to scream when they say that one more time. Um, be prepared for reality. Know what it is that you're going into and plan some specific a- actions, action steps to make it be different. And that's going to be different for every family, every situation, every relationship. Some of the basic ones are, I'm going to get up and walk away. I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to let it be okay. I'm going to accept that it's okay. And I'm going to laugh and make a joke. I'm not going to get triggered. I'm not going to get angry about this thing that I always get angry about. I'm going to say, that's a pretty funny joke. And then I'm going to leave the room. You know, it's like plan the action ahead of time, prepare for reality, plan your action ahead of time. And then follow through and have a backup plan if it gets really, really untenable. Mm -hmm. Be able to leave. Don't get yourself trapped at a family gathering that you know can go south. Yeah, we've talked before about having a code word with your spouse. That too. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) If you need to get out, what's the code for it's time to go? 
<laughs> yep, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to you say walk away. And I think so many people, I, I mean, when I was younger, I felt like this. If you walk away, you feel like you lost the argument, but really you won. You did. Because you just didn't, you just didn't go there. Right. Right. And so the question is, what is the game that you're playing that's about winning and losing? Relationships are successful when they last, when they continue with harmony and mutual support for both people. If you do something that breaks that, then you lost. Mm -hmm. If you do something that makes that harder in the future, then you lost. Right. So, you know, if what you want to do is win the the fight of the moment, the argument of the moment, the yes, you did, no, you didn't of the moment, then you already lost because that doesn't sustain the relationship to get into that. It really sounds to me like you either both win or you both lose. There's no. (laughs) Oh, bingo. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're about out of time. Would you tell listeners how they can reach you? Absolutely. Please, first of all, send me an email at carol at lcarolscott.com. And that's in the show notes, I believe. Yes. And I'm going to send you back. Become your sassy self. It's a little 28 page bookette, little PDF that I'll send you attached to an email that describes the seven success strategies, how they develop naturally in children and gives you some questions to ask yourself as a self-awareness assessment. How am I doing with this in my relationships? What's this like for me? And I think, you know, that will get you started on whether this is something you want to learn more about. But my website, lcarolscott.com, is the source of all roads that lead to all things Dr. Scott. So YouTube link, Instagram link, Facebook link, all the things on the, on the website, lcarolscott.com. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And that was carol at lcarolscott.com. And that will be in show notes. Now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Teresa Reed. She said, I found a fast way to peel russet potatoes on a Williams-Sonoma YouTube video. First, boil the potatoes, then transfer to an ice bath for about 10 seconds. Then reach in and put your hands together to hold onto the potato and twist your hands in opposite directions The peel should slide right off. What a life-changing discovery. All right, now I have a question for you, Sherry. Yeah. Do you peel your potatoes? No. Me neither. I just always use the peel for everything. Yeah. On the rare occasion I make potatoes, I mash skins in with the potatoes. There's not one single thing. that I just When I I was reading that, I was thinking, when's the last time I've peeled a potato? I mean, the only thing... The only time I can think of it is if you were going to make potato salad. I make potato salad with the peels. Do you? Okay. I've never made potato salad in my life. Okay. Well, (laughs) I make potato salad. And if I eat mashed potatoes, which is rare, I want them chunky anyways. I don't like smooth food. Yeah. So I want, I want something to chew. So I'm going to leave the skins on anyway. I always leave the skins on. I mash them with my potato mash. Eric hates it. With the skin. Yeah. Well, it's good for your gut. That's where the fiber is. is. There's a lot of nutrients in the peel. Yes. So, but if you do need to peel them, I think that Teresa's tip is fabulous because I could see you might have picky people who do not want (laughs) the peel. (laughs) Well, see, then there's also my husband who would rather eat instant mashed potatoes out of the package than real mashed potatoes anyway. So, I can't account for his taste buds. Well, that's even easier. Well, that's what he gets a lot because I don't really eat mashed there potatoes. Is nothing so. easier than a box like, of mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh, my we Lord. 
We like the loaded baked potato bag that you add two cups of hot water to and Aww. add a little bit of extra cheddar cheese and he's wah, happy. Wah. Okay. <laughs> I would not I, be. Happy. It tastes like sadness to me. Yeah, but... me too. <laughs> At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today we have a poem shared by Danielle. She said, I recently was at a funeral and they read this poem. If there are any listeners from the Midwest or any agricultural area, it might speak to them as well. The poem is called, So God Made a Farmer's Wife. And on the ninth day, God looked on his planned paradise and said, the farmer needs a caretaker. So God made a farmer's wife. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, feed the farmer, work all day in town, come home to work alongside her farmer, make supper, and then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer's wife. I need somebody with arms strong enough to keep up with the farmer, yet gentle enough to cuddle with a newborn baby. Somebody to run for parts, help in the field, move trucks, deliver meals, look the farmer in the eyes and tell him I love you and the life we've built and mean it. So God made a farmer's wife. God had to have somebody willing to cancel appointments and change plans and be ready in a minute's notice and yet never stop and complain about this way of life. So God made a farmer's wife. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clean out bins and heave bales, yet gentle enough to raise kids and bottle feed calves and tend to the house. Someone who will drive the tractor and pray to God about the weather. It had to be somebody who'd be able to handle the house and field work. Somebody who will bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when her daughter says she wants to spend her life doing what her mom does. So God made a farmer's wife. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Danielle. Yeah. It made me think of a friend of mine back home whose husband is a big farmer, and she spends long hours getting up. Feeding him before he goes out and waiting for him to come back in late at night after harvest. And it is a it is a job to be a farmer's wife. Well, that is a beautiful poem. Shout out to all the farmers wives who might be listening. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons Podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.